almost one of those things that we have to learn how to do because so much of what we do is based on fear of judgment of other people. And once you can eliminate the fear of judgment of other people, you can truly start to portray yourself as yourself without trying to put on a, a facade or a mask or pretend to be someone or something you're not. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Danny Cola. I'm very excited to bring you this next episode of the show. My guest today is Jordan Syatt. You may know him as Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer, or you may know him as the Muggle Coffee Chugging Champion. That's a 27th degree black belt on Instagram at Syatt Fitness. This dude is a plethora of knowledge. He's constantly bringing to you content via Instagram, via YouTube, via his podcast, and he's just uh, somebody that I look up to for inspiration when it comes to delivering content that's digestible. I caught him at a perfect time because he is in his 29th day of a 30-day Big Mac challenge where he eats a Big Mac every single day for 30 days. And his main message is to share to people that it's okay to fuck up every so often when you're on your wellness journey. You don't start back from zero after you have a tasty treat. And he's accomplishing that because I think he's losing weight. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Make sure to follow Jordan on Instagram at Syatt Fitness, S-Y-A-T-T Fitness on Instagram and Jordan Syatt on YouTube quality information quality content and it's super consistent enjoy the show everybody jordan sayat thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh dude i want to open up with talking about your uh mcdonald's challenge your big mac challenge because i had a friend of mine who who did eight weeks of just eating nothing but mcdonald's keeping the calories at a caloric maintenance and he kept all the macronutrients the same and he lost weight he lost a ton of weight so I want to talk about how your last 30 days has been, because I know you only have a couple of days left of Big Macs, right? Yes, sir. I have two Big Macs left. I have today and tomorrow. Uh, man, it must have been, you said your buddy did it for eight weeks? He did. So listen to this, dude. He did eight weeks of Chipotle, same caloric intake, same macronutrients, 50% carbs, 25% fat and protein. Then he did eight weeks of um, vegan diet. Same thing, same caloric maintenance, 20, 25 or 2,700 calories, 50% from carbs and 25% fat and protein. And then he goes to McDonald's and he, this was the best part of it. He goes from vegan to McDonald's. During vegan, he said that he just had a low energy. His enthusiasm for life was like super low, not very strong. And then he goes into McDonald's and he says, I never felt more enthusiastic <laughs> for life ever. And he, he dropped <laughs> Dude, he dropped so much weight too, and now he's he's freaking huge. But so, like a friend of mine did something super similar. So, talk to me a little bit about how you've been feeling, why you did this, and like why it's so important to you. Because I love your I love your message first of all. But just go into some of your background on like that whole uh, Big Mac thing. Yeah. So I mean, basically, I want to make sure that people don't feel guilty for having a treat. And like, and like that's, that's, I've spent a lot of time really trying to figure out what is the main point of this project. And like, that's the one consistent thing. And there are other points as well, but this is the main one. Like when you go to your daughter's 
birthday party, you should be able to have a slice of pizza without feeling guilty. Amen. If you go to your nephew's graduation ceremony, you should be able to have a slice of cake without feeling guilty. If you, if you go out to get an ice cream cone with your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, you should be able to enjoy it without feeling guilty. That's what I want to accomplish with this challenge. And at one thing I've noticed, and even more than ever over the last few years, just be, because of Instagram and how many messages I get and, and, and people that I work with, food anxiety is so outrageously prevalent. Mm. It's, it's, I don't think people understand it because most people don't feel comfortable talking about it. Totally. I think one of the things I've been doing over this challenge is I've been sharing the messages that I've been getting from people. And I've only shared a fraction of the messages. Like there's no way I can share all of them. Like I, one of the reasons that I think it's hitting home so much is because people are seeing they're not alone. That like, they're not alone in the fact that like sometimes they're scared to have a treat or that they're they're they freak out when the scale spikes up or that they like get nervous or anxious when they go out to dinner on a Friday night because they don't want to ruin their progress. So for me, this challenge was literally just to show you that you can have some of your favorite unhealthy foods and mm. still not not only not like not only like does not ruin your progress, you can actually keep making progress. And uh the reason I chose the Big Mac specifically is because there's just so much stigma around McDonald's. And obviously that comes from Supersize Me, which, I mean, huge credit to Morgan Spurlock because he fucking crushed that, that documentary. He totally um, did. Unfortunately, it was just incredibly biased and narrative-driven, and I, I, do, I don't agree with his, the perspective that he, that he uh, presented, but he did a great job. Like, he absolutely dominated it. He and definitely did. And you know what, dude? Like, we've come a long way since Supersize Me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the information we've not, we now know about movement and, and energy expenditure and caloric intake, macronutrient dispersion, all that stuff. Like, and the way, like, our body metabolizes food. Like, we've learned so much since then. And, like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, there's so many different ways that we can talk about like wellness and health and being healthy. Uh, but I do like what you're talking about because like, I, hold on a second. I, hold on a second. This, this one thing is bothering me. We talk about, we talk about that feeling guilty, right? And yeah. when you're in, when you're in a journey of wellness, going from eating healthy and, and getting on that, that, that train and then, you know, going back to what we're conditioned to feeling and going back to how we typically normally eat when we're trying to go. I don't know, man. I'm just fucking, I'm going off of this. Oy. You all right? <laughs> I'm good. I guess I'm just nervous. Fuck. Not that yeah. like, like you're like one of, I guess you're one of my biggest guys that I've ever fucking interviewed and I'm just, all over the place. Wow, how weird is that? Man, I'm just I, I I'm just a short bald Jewish guy who likes <laughs> Harry Potter and he's spending thirty days eating Big Macs, I promise. <laughs> and and I'll tell you what, I I really hope that you keep this part on the podcast. Don't cut it out because people are gonna appreciate how honest you are. Like, yeah, definitely. Like part part of my thing has been uh authenticity and going down this this road of putting myself out there, honestly, and not giving a fuck about what people are saying and, and, and how people view my path. Like I swing around a fucking steel mace and <laughs> I talk about reality. Like it's, I don't know. I go, I go into circles when we talk about reality because, because you know, we can go back to like 
we can go back to eating and how we're conditioned to think about wellness and losing weight. That's what I was going to go back to. It's like we make, we make progress, we make, we make strides, and um, we, we go back into a rut the second we, we lose focus. You know what I'm saying? And then because of that one mess up, we go back into our normal conditioning, and it's hard to get out of whatever conditioning that we've been thinking about this entire time. Does that make sense? You know what yeah, I'm of course. Yeah, you basically, and tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, it sounds like what you're saying is when people feel like they screw up, they just, they lose everything. When they feel like they made yeah. a mistake, they end up like going off track completely. And it's, it's, it's not the fact that they, that they quote unquote screwed up. It's the fact that they allow what they perceive to be a screw up to justify continuing to screw up over and over and over again and never getting back on track ironically like i had a mishap in my thought process in the, in the podcast and i'm not gonna let that fuck up this interview with somebody who's got such an impact like you right so i'm just gonna take my mindset that brain fart that i just had shift it back on course and use that as an analogy right it's the same thing when it comes to our wellness journey we get out of our ruts we kind of look at what we did as a fuck up but don't let that take us too much in a hole, get back on our horse and get back going. Um, so let's talk about how you've been feeling since you've been eating a Big Mac. Now, a Big Mac is only like what? 800 calories, right? It's only 540 calories. 540 calories. So that's not even a, that's not even a ton when, when you look at like the scale of calories that you put in on a day-to-day -day basis. So how have you been feeling since you've had the Big Mac? Do you force them down? Is it, is it really good after every time? Or do you feel like high energy still? Has it been any impact on you at all like that? It's funny. I feel like so much of this idea that fast food makes you feel bad is literally pressed on us by like societal norms and culture that like make like a lot of people they're almost ashamed to say that they would eat mcdonald's that they like mcdonald's and so if they do then they're like oh i feel so bad and sluggish and i'm sure some people do but the first day i had it i was it sat in my stomach like a like a sack of bricks and then after that i've been fine that was it like after that i've been totally fine um i never have it before i work out just because like it's a lot of fat and yeah I just, but i mean if i ate three spoonfuls of peanut butter before i worked out i'd also feel like i just like had a sack of bricks in my in my stomach you know it's like i'm with you i'm with you it's not necessarily the big mac as much as it is like you're just putting a lot of fat in your body in one one go it's probably not the best idea to work out right after that so honestly i feel great i think the the biggest thing for me is Though I wanted to show people that you could lose fat while doing this because like people like still don't understand calorie deficit. Hopefully they understand it more now. But I was I didn't actually I'm not in a phase in my life in which I actually wanted to lose fat. So I'm just ready to stop being in a calorie deficit because <laughs> I just I want to go into a muscle building phase again. And so like I've lost almost six and a half pounds over the last 30 days. I just want to get back into gaining weight now. So that's really been the hardest part for me is actually just being in a calorie deficit. But it's funny because I get a lot of questions literally just before I got on the podcast. Someone was like, oh, my God, like, have, have you been on point with your calories every day? And I'm like, it's only been 28 days. Like, number one, no, I actually had a couple days where I was at my buddy's wedding. But number two is it's only been 28 days. That's not an outrageous amount of time to be consistent with something. Uh, a lot of people are like, I can't believe you've been so consistent. It's like, 
if you can't believe someone's been consistent for 26 days out of 28, that's a really big fucking problem. Dude, totally. I couldn't agree with you more. And man, like that, that's, that's just it right there. Like the mindset people kind of, or the limitations they, they give themselves, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't do this for 28 days or, or whatever it is. Like how bad do you, do people necessarily want to make a change? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you really want something that bad, you'll, you'll jump over any wall. It's about prioritizing all of that. And 28 days, like if you look at it at the, at the end of it, like now that you're, you're at the end of, uh, of this, I mean, obviously you've only been eating, a, I mean, a Big Mac, I'm sure people would jump at the chance of having a Big Mac for 30 straight days. But like at the end of it now, it's like, do you feel like this is a good representation of what you're trying to, like a good representation of the message you're trying to send at the end of it? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I don't think I did not anticipate such a massive response. I, I did not anticipate so many of the ways in which this would impact people. I had no idea. I had I had no idea that I honestly almost didn't do the challenge. I said that I wanted to do it starting in September. Um, and then literally Rico was like, all right, you're ready to do it. And I was like, ah, like, I don't really want to because I want to build muscle. But I said I would. So let's do it. Rico's and, doing it, too. No, no. He actually hasn't had one thing from McDonald's his entire time. He sat down at McDonald's for 28 days in a row and he hasn't ordered one. He hasn't had one French fry, not one sesame seed from the bun, which is actually super impressive. Um, but in terms of the consistency aspect, it's really interesting because it's not like I'm suffering through this, right? It's not like I'm only eating one Big Mac. Like I'm eating normal meals. I put people freaked out the other night because my girlfriend cooked a massive feast with a homemade quiche and all this like other food. And, like I eat a normal diet. I'm just paying attention to the total amount that I'm eating. That's it. It's mm -hmm. literally it. Yeah. And, and people freak out. They're like, they, they, they're like, I can't believe you've been so consistent for so long. Like number one, 28 days isn't that long. Number two is it's, easier to be consistent when you're doing something that's sustainable when oh, you're, doing, when you're doing a juice cleanse that like you're essentially drinking all of your food or when you're doing a diet that completely eliminates an entire macronutrient or when you're doing a certain type of workout program that has you training outrageously hard seven days a week it's not sustainable so people are shocked that you can be so consistent but consistency is predicated on sustainability yeah, totally. And then what you could adhere to, right? Like something that's good for you. Um, so what else has your diet been like? Are you getting dark leafy greens? Are you doing any sort of fasting? Or are you just kind of just eating when you're hungry and, and stop when you're full type of thing? Yeah, I mean, so I counted my calories meticulously for so many years that I have a pretty good idea of how many I'm eating without actually counting them. Um, so I'm not meticulously tracking them. I basically, I have three meals and two snacks every day. That's it. Like, it's super simple. Um, I wake up, I have coffee and an apple. It's the first thing that I have. That's one of my snacks. Um, then my, uh, my first meal is usually, it's, it's some kind of a big salad usually, like uh, a big salad with grilled chicken or, or something on top of it. Okay. Then I work out. Then I'll, uh, then I'll go have the Big Mac. Then after that, I'll have another snack, usually some type of protein shake or something. And then uh, after that, I'll have, um, I'll have a, another meal 
and and then from there i i play it by ear in terms of whether or not i'm hungry whether yeah. or not like if, if i want to have something else but that's usually like three meals two snacks with a lot of coffee and a lot of sparkling water yeah well yeah sparkling water is good sparkling water makes me feel fucking full scratches my throat i'm with you on the i'm with you on both drinks the coffee too i just i just had my cup not too long ago do you like espresso french press pour over what's your go-to coffee is your coffee kind of sweet? Yeah, I actually, I love all of it. I love all of it. I think if I had to choose one that was my favorite. Good thing I would you have go- to choose one, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I had to choose one that was my favorite on a day-to-day basis, I'd probably go with, uh, with espresso. Just like super, like it actually had Rico and I have it pretty frequently. There's some really great spots in New York, but it's just, it's nice to share an espresso with somebody, you know, just sit down and have a nice espresso. It's, it's, a, it's always like a good experience. I'm with you. Like that's how I started drinking coffee. And then as I've expanded my coffee taste, I guess I go to French press and pour over sometimes. Um, but I honestly don't like a ton of coffee in the morning. And that, and that's probably why the main reason I like espresso, I stick with Lavazza. It's just like a nice little cup. It's just the right amount, nice and warm, especially in like the cold of the Midwest in the winter time. It's like let me waking up super early for clients or, or classes or whatever I'm doing. It's like, let me have, my coffee, and I'm ready to rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? You said Lavazza, and Rico just went like, yeah, <laughs> he, like yeah. that's his favorite. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've tried other stuff, uh, but Lavazza is what I, like, started drinking when I was 18, when I started taking clients super early, and I was just like, I got to try, you know, my parents would drink Lavazza all the time out of that little, like, uh, percolator, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? And that's uh, pretty much how I make my coffee to this day. It's my favorite way. Um, so going back to the Big Macs though, um, Jordan, did you ever have it at nighttime before sleeping and did it ever disrupt your sleep at all? Um, I, I think the latest that I had, it was around like six, maybe 7 PM. Uh, and it's never disturbed my sleep. Like, no, it it hasn't at all. I I haven't had it at like nine or 10, but just, I'm a, I'm a good sleeper. Like I'm I'm a good sleeper. If I want to sleep, like I could fall asleep on a pile of rocks. So I really don't think that that would uh, that would make a difference. I know for some people, eating too late can like sort of screw with their sleep. Um, but again, I think that's more of just like an individual thing and not necessarily related to the Big Mac or McDonald's. It's much more just understanding your body. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, dude, I like fucking fast food, man. Uh, as a fitness enthusiast and teacher and trainer, like. It's fun. It's fun to have fast food every once in a while and treat yourself. And I'll tell you, like, I used to be, and even with clients too, I would teach them to uh, just pay attention to how you're feeling during the workout programs and the eating and the sleeping and all that and take your attention away from the scale. Because once you do that, then things start falling into place. And I, I don't even have a scale at my house. I don't have a scale at my gym. I don't use it ever. And, uh, I noticed that when I've taken my attention off that, I've been at a, at a place physically, uh, aesthetically, where I've, you know, I've always wanted to be and comfortable being there. And I don't even pay attention to the scale anymore. I just feel like it doesn't, it doesn't assess you with, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, you don't, it's not like a good form of, of assessment, wouldn't you say? Like, wouldn't other things are like, energy levels, mood, the way you move, the way you feel during workouts, or like if you have to perform a, in a game or at work or whatever, wouldn't you say those things exceed 
the number on the scale because usually the number is an arbitrary number we pull out of our ass anyways. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's interesting. I, I very much understand that train of thought. I do tend to disagree with it, though, for a number of reasons. Um, mainly because it's sort of like when people go against the scale, one of the things they'll say is like, well, the scale doesn't define you. The number doesn't define you. And I'm, also, I'm like, okay, the number of your deadlift doesn't define you, but you still encourage people to do that. Like just because you're having like whatever you lift on the deadlift, it doesn't mean that like that number defines you if you can only do 135 versus 535. But it's still a good idea to deadlift because it's going to help you get stronger and build more muscle. doesn't matter if you're doing a trap bar deadlift, sumo deadlift, conventional deadlift, Romanian deadlift, single leg deadlift, but deadlifts are a good idea. Definitely. And you can track your progress on that by seeing if you're actually improving. The scale, the number on the scale doesn't define you and it's only one tool in a toolbox just like the deadlift is one tool in a toolbox. But it does allow you to keep track of a consistent and objective number that you can see over time. If, if it's going too far down or too far up, you can make adjustments if you need. That's it right there, right? It's tracking progress. It's having a visual that kind of sits in your head that tells you yay or nay. Do you feel like that process in general um, over time is more of like an, it could be more of a negative, you know, like, a psychological way of looking at this and like, Oh, I get so addicted to tracking my progress every week, looking at this number, looking at this number, looking at this number. Like I've been exercising since I was 18 and I'm 31. I'm going to be 31. Like I don't even, I just don't look at numbers anymore. I feel, and everyone to each their own, you know what I'm saying? Like I've comfortably gotten to a point where I'm just like, fuck the number of the kettlebell I'm tossing around. I'm like, I just want to move a little bit right now. I want to challenge myself. I want to get my heart rate up. I want to move my joints. I want to sweat a little bit. I want to breathe. I want to tap into just my inner self, see what's going on, and then that be that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've gotten so tired of, all right, my fourth set, I'm going to have 285 on here. I'm going to do this three times. You know what I'm saying? Like, doesn't it ever get tedious? You know, I think, I think anything in terms of tracking can become tedious, right? Tracking your finances, tracking your finances can become tedious, right? Oh. It's like learning a new skill can become tedious. Like anything that you take to a, a higher level or a higher degree will absolutely can absolutely become tedious. I don't think that it's wrong to go by how you feel. I think that what you're doing is fantastic. But I will say that the way that you're training right now probably wouldn't have been possible if you didn't take it to an extreme prior, if you didn't go through that tedious period. Yeah. Because now sure. you, can, you can do it relatively intuitively now. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter how much you're lifting because you're lifting enough because you've gone through that time period. And like right. telling, telling someone else to just like lift based on how you feel when they don't know what the fuck that means. It's like, how are they supposed to know how to lift based on feel if they don't know what it's supposed to feel like? Totally. You know, it's sort of like totally. you tell someone to, to just eat intuitively when they've mainly been eating shit food and hadn't tracked their calories. And like, then they'll eat intuitively and go to Papa John's because that's intuitive to them because that's what they've done. It's like, yeah. In order to learn how to train intuitively, you first had to learn, you, you first have to learn the science of it and how to track it in order well, to eat intuitively. Same thing in order to track your finances, in order to learn how to do anything intuitively, you first have to understand the science and the principles of it. Definitely dude. Well said. Good, good point. Touche. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you have a powerlifting background. Yeah. Yes, sir. 
talk to me a little bit about how you got started in powerlifting and uh, and all that. And like, does that carry over with how you structure your workouts now? Yeah, I mean, so I started wrestling when I was eight years old, and wrestling was sort of my end of the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. I uh, I made varsity as a freshman in high school because I started when I was eight years old. Are and, you from New York? Um, uh, Boston. I grew up Boston. in Boston. Okay. And um, and from freshman year, I had to cut from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week. So I had to learn how to lose weight while also gaining strength. Um, and when I was a freshman, I was, I don't know, 13 years old going against like 16, 17, 18 year olds. So my strength wasn't, wasn't anywhere near theirs. So I had to really learn how to get stronger while getting leaner. Uh, so I ended up applying to a gym in a town nearby just to intern. I was like, can I, like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. And fortunately they, they took me under their wing. And then they introduced me to science-based strength training. So by the time I graduated high school, I was super into powerlifting. I was super into weightlifting. And that was sort of, of a natural segue. I decided I, I didn't want to cut weight anymore, so I didn't wrestle in college. But then I ended up cutting weight anyway in powerlifting, so it didn't really matter. But I uh, ended up powerlifting from uh, my freshman year. Of, basically, I started in high school, but competitively uh, freshman year of college all the way for about a total six, seven years. and ended up deadlifting four times my body weight. I pulled 530 at 132. And um, wow. yeah, and, and it absolutely impacts my programming today. But I will say that it doesn't, it doesn't define my programming and it doesn't, it doesn't dictate my program is probably the better way to put it. I have no problem if, if someone doesn't want to use a barbell then they won't use a barbell. If I don't think someone's ready to use a barbell, they won't use a barbell. Like, I'm not a dogmatic powerlifter in that sense. I'm very I much mean, whatever you can do consistently and enjoyably. Yeah, that, I mean, that's so, that's so important because everyone's individual. Everyone has their own unique abilities. And, you know, whatever gets them jacked, out, jacked up about some sort of movement, model talk, right? Like, <laughs> go, and, go and do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever gets you going. And if barbell isn't something that, it's fun for you. Don't fucking do barbells. You know what I mean? Like people look at me and it's like, Oh, you like swinging around the mace. It's like, I, yeah, it's fun. Oh, I'll never do that. Okay. I mean, that's like, of course, whatever it is that you like doing. Um, what are your thoughts on being open to new modalities of training though? Like how often do you, how often do you intertwine unconventional methods or has that ever been something that you took an interest in at all in your career thus far? Yeah, so actually the the gym that I first applied to when I was 13, 14 years old, they were a kettlebell gym. Ah. Kettlebell, kettlebell, like main, main was their main tool. They actually like didn't even have any barbells when I first got there. Uh, but they had steel mace, they had kettlebell, they had all that stuff. So What gym was it? It's called Punch Kettlebell Gym in Newton Center. I don't believe it exists anymore, but it was a is a it was a chain of gyms, uh, I believe, owned by Anthony Deluglio. Is he's like the originator of it, and he had his own certification and everything um, that was competing with RKC at the time. But uh, that's cool. Basically, I I love kettlebells. I love body weight. I love gymnastics. I love uh, dumbbells. I love barbells. I like, I like everything. I think every single one is just a tool. Um, and for me, it really just comes down to what do you have access to and what do you enjoy doing? Yeah. Like that's it. That's really the mo- the two most important factors. Totally, man. Um, now that you've been exercising for quite some time, how many days do you 
like to work out? Uh, right now, uh, if I had my preference, it would be between in the, in the gym, like lifting weights in between four and five. But uh, I've also been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So like three ah. or four days in the gym and then two days a week Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's a lot of activity, man. That's a lot of shit. Yeah. Do you feel, do you feel like um, the jiu-jitsu has been wearing down on you? Do you feel like that you're more susceptible of getting hurt or have you been in a vulnerable position? Obviously, it's jiu-jitsu, so you're going to be in vulnerable positions. But has it uh, worn down your ability to get in, back into the gym or not? No, actually, if anything, it's, it's increased my motivation on both ends because the strength training obviously is going to help me get stronger and give me an advantage in, in jiu-jitsu. And then also in jiu-jitsu, the mobility and flexibility is huge. Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of the most overlooked aspects of jujitsu. Is like the the best jujitsu grapplers are outrageously mobile and flexible. They can mm. the dexterity is insane in their joints. So that's been massive. And I'm not usually the best about making time at the gym to get my stretching in. So jujitsu helps with that. And yeah. then also it's it's a ton of conditioning as well. It's just nonstop. It's an entire hour, hour and a half of just rolling, 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 rolling. So it's a good combination. I like I like both the strength and the jujitsu together, and they sort of motivate me on either end. Cool, man. Yeah, let your inner wrestler come back out because that's important to get your animal out. If that's something you were doing back in the day, you know, a hundred percent. I love the fact that I mean I've never done any jujitsu, but I listen to a ton of Joe Rogan, and he always talks about the jujitsu community. How much do you partake in cannabis prior to jujitsu? Because <laughs> I know that that's a uh, it's it's something of their culture to get high and roll. Is that something that you partake in? No, man. I mean, when I was in high school, I smoked a lot. When I was like sixteen, seventeen, I smoked a lot. Mm. Since then, I haven't really smoked at all. Um, like, I don't think I think the last time I smoked weed must have been at least three or four years ago. And then before that, like that was just one time and probably two or three years before that. And like, just for me, I like jujitsu because I like jujitsu. And if actually, to be fair, I, I roll at Henzo Gracie in New York. I don't know anybody who's, who's smoking like that at Henzo. I mean, Gordon Ryan literally just won double gold at ADCC yesterday. And like, he's literally training three times a day, every day jujitsu. And then he also does one full on strength training session and one uh, physical therapy session. This is every day. So I know, uh, I know Joe Rogan talks about it a lot, and I know it's a big part of the culture, but I will say it's probably different for those actively competing versus those who are just doing it for, like, because they love it, and it's just, like, maybe a few times a week. Totally, totally interesting. I did a podcast with John Beneducci, and uh, that dude is a cannabis connoisseur, psychedelic connoisseur. He claims he's a, the son of Odin. And he's like, it's just energy. He's an interesting guy. Um, I got to get his take on what, what it's like during camp smoking. He, he won, he was one of the oldest fighters to win in Bellator uh, at 39 years old at Madison Square Garden in, uh, in June. But he's a, he's a freaking beast. I don't know if you've heard of him or follow his work at all. No, I haven't. But yeah, man, uh, I'm interested in like the culture of cannabis and exercise uh, just because of the anti-inflammatory properties. Like, I'm the opposite of you. I never touched any sort of cannabis in my high school days. I didn't start smoking it until after college football was done, and I was even a late bloomer. Like, I played college football from 21 years old to 25. And then once college football was done, I was introduced to cannabis, 
And I realized that it just makes my brain function at higher levels when I'm reading information, when I'm listening to, to podcasts, when I'm trying to come up with creative information, when I'm, when I'm flowing with a mace or kettlebell or even just exercising. And I, like I said, this is like the beauty of the individual, right? Everyone functions on an individual level, which means like the style of exercise, the, the reps and sets, the weight, the, you know, the sleep, the, the food that you take in. It's like everyone's going to function differently on a different set of rules. So it's like switching this conversation to wellness and uh, how mainstream kind of views wellness. Like everything is such an individualized basis and there's not like a one size fits all program for everybody. And I know that your style of education is teaching people basic shit, getting them involved in some sort of wellness program and altering the best that fits you. So talk a little bit about like your overall message with everything that you've been doing, um, how that came about. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I just want to help people understand what they need to understand. And usually that comes from knowing that the people who need the message most, the people who actually need to understand, like need to understand how to lose weight, who need to understand how to get in the gym. If they were really, really passionate about it, they would have went to school for it and they would have studied it and they probably wouldn't need our help or as not as much as, as they do. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of the biggest issues that a lot of personal trainers and coaches and nutrition coaches have with their content is that they spend too much time trying to impress other coaches with their knowledge and not enough time trying to, break things down simple enough for people to regular people to understand huge and uh that's why i use different characters and i use wigs and i use accents and i have fun with it and i i break it down into very 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 simple and easy to understand components and i use a lot of analogies to try and make things uh stick better and um that's where sort of my teaching method came from i also i was in special education growing up like not the best in school at all like really really bad and uh, in order for me to get through school, I always had to come up with new ways to learn the content, new ways to learn the, the curriculum. And I think that actually ended up giving me a huge advantage on the back end in terms of being able to teach people because definitely I was able to take these conventional terms and these conventional methods and these things that a lot of people were teaching, but no one was understanding outside the fitness world. And I was able to figure out a way to break it down so simple a six-year-old can understand it. Dude, that's, that's so important. Part of, part of my career was five years teaching at high school levels. Um, and like I always said that, like breaking it down in a simple way so that, you know, a seventh grader could understand, especially when it comes to movement and nutrition and sleep and anything that has to do with wellness. Have you ever thought about or growing up or when you were trying to choose your career, did you ever think about becoming a teacher or anything like that? Yeah, actually, I've always said 100%. If I wasn't in the fitness industry, I would have been a history professor. Wow. Professor. Yep. So you're going on college. Yeah. I've, I've always had a massive interest in the Holocaust. Like it's one of those subjects that I've just been deeply, deeply, deeply interested in and in understanding uh, not just the history of it, but the psychology of what happened and the psychology of everyone involved from the prisoners to the actual uh, soldiers. And it's uh, I've spent a lot of time researching it and I would love to, I would love to spend more time studying it and, uh, if I wasn't in the fitness industry, I probably would have gone down that route. Interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's not a it's not a uh, easy thing to do to take something so complex and break it down into something so simple. Um, so let's transition. You, you're obviously you are in the fitness industry, but you you are teaching, right? You're teaching on all these different platforms. What was your social media presence like prior to meeting Gary B? And working so, so I use social media but I wasn't using it as consistently or as um, deliberately, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the, since I started making content in 2011 and I basically, I was posting on my Facebook and I was posting on Twitter and I was posting on my website. That was like the main thing. And, and every week I was posting a new article on my website. I was spending a lot of time writing long form articles. Like the Instagram age doesn't understand, like literally spending 18 to 24 hours a week on a new article every week. And uh, I did that. I have over 500 articles on my website. So that's where I spent the majority of my time. And that's where my business really got started was between my Facebook, my personal Facebook page, not my business, my personal one and my website. And I did that for the better part of three to four years. And then, uh, then I got more into the email side of things. So I got more into email and copywriting and, um, just the direct marketing world as opposed to necessarily on social media. Yeah. And then, and I did that for about two, two and a half years. And then, and then I started coaching Gary and I was like, if I'm going to be with Gary, I might as well go all in on social. Totally. And so then I went all in on social and, um, I was going really, really hard on Facebook at first. And then I switched to Instagram and to give like my attention to it. So I went hard on Facebook for the better part of eight to 10 months and then on Instagram, I went crazy hard for about like two, two and a half years. And now I'm spending more time on YouTube and podcasts. Awesome. So do you have your own podcast? Yeah. Yep. Nice. Awesome. I got to take a look at that. I just, I mean, you obviously spending a lot of time on Instagram and your, your videos on Instagram are hilarious and you have the style and the fun words that you throw out and the unicorn stuff and chugging coffee, it, like like you said, it's a great way to make things fun and, and interesting. So when you, how, how did you get in touch with Gary Vee in the first place? How did that happen? Uh, so basically, I applied, uh, or I so I wrote an article in 2011. I wrote a lot of articles, but one of my articles um, was probably my one of my least least popular articles ever written happened to be seen by this kid named Mike and he was living in Minnesota at the time. And Mike McCanty, like, oh. he's, he's the other trainer. Yep. And Got I didn't it. know him at the time. He wasn't even a personal trainer at the time. Uh, but this random dude came across one of my articles, commented on it, asked me a question. I replied and he just started following me ever since. And then, um, from there, four years later, he became Gary's first coach. And then after his contract was up, Gary was like, who's going to coach me next? And Mike said, I think I know a guy. And it was me. And it, it basically started because of that one article that like still one of my least popular articles to date. Very few people have seen it. It's not like a pot. It's not like a, a, a great one to be very honest, but you never know who's going to see your content. You never know who, and you never know who you're going to talk to and, and who you're going to impact. So literally just replying to his comment and helping him was and then his own path that led him to coach Gary is what then led me to coaching my led me to coaching him as well interesting wow yeah that's true you never know who's seeing your shit um so how's the pro how's the uh, process of starting your own podcast and being more on YouTube been 
what's the difference between doing the whole Instagram and going hard on that and Facebook versus doing YouTube and podcasting? Uh, man, it's super different and I like it a lot. And one of the things that I enjoy every single platform that I use, I have very different content. So Instagram is obviously it's in the name Insta. It's like, it's very quick. It's much more quick. It's brief. It, for me, the goal isn't necessarily to teach people everything they need to know on Instagram. It's to get them interested enough in order to want to learn more. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, a lot of my content, it's not based around like trying to teach them every single thing they need to know, but just so that they know enough so that they can start looking for something else. They can start digging into on their own, doing more research. And then that's where my YouTube comes in. YouTube is basically, as we were talking about it, it's just me lecturing, right? It's like I have a whiteboard yeah. and I figure out what the course material is for that day. And then it's usually a, anywhere between like a 10 to 30 minute long video of me just lecturing. And I try and make it as entertaining as possible. Um, Totally. Basically just giving people practical strategies that they can use to help with their fitness and nutrition and strength training. And, uh, and my podcast is, it's all interviews with my clients and inner circle members. So I like basically they come on and they're the only ones who can come on, but I answer their questions real time. So if they're struggling with binge eating, if they're struggling with strength training in the gym, if they're struggling with consistency, if they're struggling with whatever it is, we just have a conversation and, and I help them real time. And that's actually been one of the most fun, interesting things to do because I haven't heard anyone else do that. And regular fitness people like it because I'm helping solve their problems and coaches tend to like it because they're hearing how I solve those problems. Totally. And I'm sure like regular people like it because there's more people that have situations like your clients. I mean, yep. yeah, that's, a, that's super awesome. You, you don't have anybody like you don't reach out to other influencers and have conversations with them. Uh, is that something that you intend on doing? No, that doesn't interest me to be honest. Like that's what most people do. Yeah. And, and they say the same shit every time. <laughs> like, it's the same message over and over and over again. Um, and to be honest, my goal isn't to meet up with more influencers. My goal is to influence more people. So I, I, I respect a lot of influencers and I, I think a lot of them do great work, but I would actually rather talk to the people that I'm supposed to be helping than, than talk to more influencers. It's brilliant, man. You're a fucking smart guy. And uh, the shit that you're doing is revolutionary. Like, the 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 amount you post the quality of your content you know the way you invest in a guy like rico and and you know he's capturing your stuff and you know i just think that what you're doing is on the next level and it impacts me like effing crazy i can't explain like the energy that i get from guys like you and how it impacts me to do my work and just having this conversation like this it forces me to think on other levels it's like how can I do my shit differently so that I can keep impacting people? It's like something that I'm realizing as I've gotten older and grown in my career, like I'm a natural born teacher. I'm just trying to find ways that are more creative to impact people and get on a real connection, get on a real level with them so that they can be just as inspired and they can do their own form of what we're trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. A hundred percent, man. And, and, I respect that. I respect that a lot. I think one of the things that I've, I've enjoyed and respected the most about you is, is you have no, you have no issue expressing your beliefs and you equally have no issue learning and being open to new ones. And totally. it's, a, it's a very rare quality. It's a very rare quality. And I respect it a lot. 
I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm just interested in having a conversation that people are afraid of. I guess not necessarily people are afraid of having, but like, you know, the first six years that I've been a teacher, I've realized that people in the corporate world are always stepping on eggshells. You know, yeah. they're, they're afraid to say what they really want to say. They're afraid of having the conversations that they want to have. And when you bottle that shit up, over time, it manifests into something negative. Yep. So I'm, ha I'm having a hard time, like, kind of leaving the, the, te the teaching industry because it was something that I put a lot of heart in. But I just never m mixed with it nicely to have like a long career where I felt super happy and fulfilled. I felt fulfilled and I still feel fulfilled like coaching and training and all that stuff. But like, it wasn't a, a place where I can be long term. And I know a lot of teachers are having a hard time. And I just I know that they feel the same way that I feel. However, like they're so far into it, it's a, it's a tenured position, they're making X amount of dollars and they have a 401k and all that shit. And they're just like living in this society or living in this reality where they're afraid to just be themselves truly. And I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's a negative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. It sucks. It sucks to live with a live in a facade like to live in, in a in a world that you can't feel like you're actually being yourself i think that's one of the great things about social media is like it gives you an opportunity to truly be yourself ironically a lot of people don't and the yeah. same unhappiness carries over yeah and, and i think it's it's almost one of those things that we have to learn how to do because so much of what we do is based on fear of judgment of other people and once you can eliminate the fear of judgment of other people you can truly start to portray yourself as yourself without trying to put on a, a facade or a mask or pretend to be someone or something you're not and a lot of people might blame society and culture and and there might be some validity to that but i, I don't i don't think it's as much that as it is human nature yeah to uh to want to present your best self and a lot of times we view ourselves as less than what we could be. And we often try to make up for that by presenting someone who isn't actually who we are. And just learning to eliminate the, the, the fear of judgment of others is the most important step you can take in order to actually presenting who you are as you are for yourself, period, end of story. Totally, and that like makes the, a world of difference in the wellness journey. So like we can tie this back to like, being in a caloric deficit or whatever your freaking goals are or whatever. But I think, you know, being true to yourself, living an honest life, that has everything to do with your wellness journey in general. I mean, maybe you'll have more energy, your mood will be better, you'll lose weight or you'll be at the weight that you want to, you'll make your strength gains when you're living a truthful life, wouldn't you say? Yes, sir, absolutely. Dude, Jordan, this has been an absolute pleasure to pick your brain, uh, I feel, I'm super lucky to have interviewed you and you've made the time. Like, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Tell, tell people what's next uh, for Jordan Syatt, What's uh, and, and where, where they can find you, all your, your handles. Uh, well, what's next is, is my second to last Big Mac. Yes. So, uh, that's that. And then for finding me, you can find me on YouTube, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, Instagram, Syatt Fitness. Syatt. You just Syatt. Google me. Uh, that'll be you can find anything and everything you want to know about me on google awesome dude well thank you so much for your time have a good day have a good week mobility monday uh rico dude pleasure 
uh, hopefully you guys uh, come to Chicago one of these days and we can interact, maybe shoot some content. Um, so, dude, thanks again for your time, man. I really appreciate you. Of course, man. Thank you so much. And that was the podcast. What an extremely stand-up guy with a ton of quality information just to give out to people. Just uh, constantly spreading good vibes. I'm picking them up. And it just uh, helps me do my thing one day at a time. And I hope this information gives you positive vibes so that it motivates you to go ahead and uh, just get after it today. Just whatever it is that success means to you, do that. And uh, hopefully it will lead to a better reality for you, a better life for you and the people around you. And that's it. That's the podcast today. Make sure to check out my Instagram at Danny Cola Fitness. Check out my website, dannycola.com for the next podcast, for the next YouTube video, for the next workshop. Right now, the next workshop is October 26th, 11 a.m. at On Your Mark Training and Coaching on the West Side. That's 317 Francisco Avenue. Check the show notes for the Steel Mace 101 workshop at On Your Mark, October 26th. I'm really excited to teach Steel Mace to an awesome group of people. That being said, check out the Instagram, slide in the DMs. Let's interact there. Again, just bringing you content that's uh, hopefully valuable to you, that inspires you to think and dream big. Have a wonderful day, everybody.